Welcome to the Classic Car Corner Podcast. We are proud to be sponsored by GD Herring, providing protection solutions for the for your legacy assets, including classic cars. You can find them in my Sunday Drive blog at gdherring.com. If you are interested in collecting classic cars, check out my new book, Drop Throttle Oversteer, now available at Amazon and paperback. The book talks about the fun of classic car ownership and ways to protect your classic automotive investment. And your honest review of the book is greatly appreciated. I'm Jason Painter, and co-host today is John Lockhart and Eric Benzel, and our special guest today is Jake Metz. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for showing up. Uh, thanks for showing up tonight. I appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for having and, me. All right, we're glad to have you here. And mm-hmm. uh, so I understand that you are a BMW guy, and you have a little collection of some uh, BMWs. So if you would just tell us a little bit about that collection. What got you turned on to BMWs, and what uh, what's your uh, what do you really like about your BMW collection? Oh, so I, I've loved BMWs for about ten years. Uh, I've been in the the vintage classic BMW scene for just over a decade now, uh, and have always loved 2002 specifically, uh, from '66 to '76. Um, something about the lines is kind of what always did it for me, and uh, the the car that I've had for that ten years. Actually, it was one of the first ones that I saw here in Louisville. It was, belonged to a family friend, and they would pick their, their daughter up from school in it every now and then. I just thought it was the coolest car possible. Uh, and as you know, kind of high school wound down, I was driving an old Mercedes. I proceeded to break the old Mercedes, and I decided that I wanted something that I could work on and thought of the 2002 again. I knew it was a light, fun, easy-to-work-on car. did a little bit of research and found that they were affordable, parts were affordable, not kind of congruent with the BMW name today. And thought it would be a good opportunity for a, a kid to get into, and the rest is history. All right, so those cars are pretty easy to work on. For the most part, yeah. There's a lot of room. Um, they are well thought out and designed, and it's uh, for the shade tree mechanic, you can really do a lot if you're determined. Okay, are they easily tunable, like uh, tune-upable? Like yes. boost some horsepower besides, you know, your standard exhaust and things like that? Yeah, that's one of the great parts about the BMW 2002, because um, the community is really the best part of the car. There are a lot of classic cars. I've had a lot of different cars, and I keep on coming back to the 2002 because of the people. And part of that is the support in the aftermarket. There are multiple companies that make parts specifically for the 2002. Uh, BMW has a great commitment for their heritage parts, and there's a lot of folks that want these cars on the road. So they really facilitate the uh, the hobby. So that's it's been great. Nice. Which models of the uh, 2002 do you have? I have um, an automatic, so that's one that most people usually take off and they, they yank the automatic out and put a five-speed out of a later BMW in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got that car, it's actually Frogger, that's the, the one that started everything, is a 73 automatic, um, and I promised to keep it an automatic. They, uh, people before me bought it intentionally because it was an automatic, so when they sold it, I agreed to keep it that way. I've got a couple of four-speed uh, cars um, and some that are in progress, so... They made a couple different cars throughout the line. They had cabriolets and target tops. Uh, they also had a fuel-injected version, the TII, uh, and the Turbo, which was a fuel-injected with a Turbo, one of the first um, commercially available tur- uh, turbo cars. Uh, unfortunately, don't have any of those. I'd love to have one of those uh, now that they're astronomically expensive. Um, but the fun part about the, the 2002 is even the base cars are, are a great time. Yeah. Now... Correct me if I'm wrong, there's a BMW uh, 2002 club, uh, especially around Louisville, I think. Don't you go on, like, journeys or actually take these cars out of town, kind of? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, so there's a, a great uh, community uh, nationally and regionally. Uh, we have a, a group called the Rivertown Gearbusters, uh, and it's comprised of folks in Louisville, Cincinnati, Dayton, um, you know, o- Ohio, Indianapolis, kind of the, the tri-state kind of area. Uh, and we go on at least a couple trips a year, um, our own events as well as some regional events. There, um, there's a big event called Vintage at, uh, Vintage at the Vineyards. It's no longer at a vineyard. Okay. Um, in Asheville that, that we all go to every year, and it's a great time. And is it just specific to the 2002s, or or is it any BMW, that genre type year? We started as a 2002 group, but uh, we don't discriminate anymore. I gotcha. We, we all love old vintage BMWs. Everybody's got, you know, a yep. different collection. So gotcha. um, if it's if it's old and German, we're happy to have you. Gotcha. Okay, very cool. Is there anything in particular about the 2002 that really drew you into it? Or is it just, you know, is there... When you first saw it, and it was like, man, I really like that car. That's just, that's my style. Uh, is there anything particular about the car that really uh, sucked you into going all in on the 2002? Yeah, I think, you know, so there there is always that, like, love at first sight. Um, I'm often reminded of a, a quote that is, don't drive a car that you can't draw. And the <laughs> simplicity and, uh, you know, the boxiness of that car, it's it's great. So getting away from those kind of... generic terms um because it's so much of a box it has an incredible greenhouse and one of the best parts of that car is all the glass Uh, incredible visibility you can really see everything and it's a great experience um they're very lightweight and uh even though they don't have a lot of power um you don't need it um it's it's a great uh slow car to drive fast uh feels wonderful and speaking about power i kind of touched on it earlier is do uh, traditionally like, like the Volkswagen GTIs that when mm-hmm. we were in high school, everybody wanted to have the GTI and they all put the, the big exhaust on them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them actually really tuned them up and made them some really sporty cars with, uh, you know, not just an exhaust, but the suspension and, you know, added some horsepower in the engine and things like that. Yeah. Uh, with that particular model, was that ever kind of a thing or do people do soup them up a little bit? Oh, most definitely. Uh, that's that's one of the great parts about the 2002 is when you go to shows, especially bigger ones like the vintage, you see cars that are from complete bone stock off the factory floor to, you know, uh, you know, completely wild race car, street builds, things like that. So you can really do anything that you want to them. There's um, incredible aftermarket support. Um, a lot of people uh, in the, the group refer to them kind of as like a Legos for adults because the BMW has such a holistic design. There are a lot of parts from the era, even through the late 80s, that you can put onto these cars. So I'm in the process of taking a six-cylinder out of a later uh, BMW 3 Series and putting it in the uh, 2002. And with a little bit of massaging, it'll fit. Um, and that's one of the great things is you can do just about anything you want to it. Um, even BMW famously, they used... The four-cylinder that in my car was, I think, started at uh, 89 horsepower, and they turbocharged that to 1,500 horsepower in F1, wow. which is incredible. So wow. the sky's the limit with these cars. Wow. So that brings me to this question. So you do some, some of your own work then? I yes. mean, okay, are, are parts hard to find for these cars? Uh, it really depends on what you're looking for, but okay. most things are still available. Okay. Um, there's a great aftermarket for a lot of engine and performance parts. And BMW does a really good job of supporting with pretty much everything else that yeah. you want. Sometimes gotcha. things go um, unavailable and then they come back. For example, the um, little light lenses that um, kind of illuminate your your license plate. Mm-hmm. Those were very common. It was one of those things you'd throw away. And then all of a sudden they disappeared. 
and for about a year and a half you couldn't get them and prices went crazy accordingly and now they're back so uh, bmw has been pretty good and that's one of the best parts about the cars is that you can get the parts through the community gotcha and, and then currently how many bmw 2002s do you have i know you had a small collection of them do you have three or four of them still or i've got uh three of them in a 1600 okay. uh, so which is the same body gotcha. um, all in various states of disrepair gotcha <laughs> gotcha well doing looking at some of the pictures of these were any of these ever uh do you know uh were used as rally cars in europe because mm -hmm. they look and yeah. they and they i mean everything says that these are built to have fun yes yeah they, uh, they were raced extensively. Um, they've got a, a lot of heritage uh, in racing and rally cars, um, but they were, they were built to have fun. It was the beginning of the modern sports sedan. So the requirement was that you could fit for adults and their luggage and go have fun. Um, and BMW did it in a way that was engaging and uh, something that people wanted to drive. And, and it also says that when they came up the 2002 that this was the car that saved BMW. It is. Uh, Really, the, the whole Noya class of cars, um, starting with a four-door uh, sedan, very similar architecture as four doors. Uh, that was the beginning of it, kind of them coming back. But the 2002 is what really cemented them, uh, and especially in America, uh, as a, a great car to, to drive and have fun with. Have you ever thought about uh, having one of your 2002s fixed up to pure stock and, and entering in any kind of a car show or taking it to car shows or have you taken it to any car shows? Um, we talk about car shows a lot in our podcast mm -hmm. here and, you know, I've been to dozens of car shows and quite honestly, I don't ever remember seeing a BMW 2002 because mm -hmm. you typically see, you know, the, the mid-century muscle cars and, yep. and things like that. Um, but you don't see it like the classic BMW, like the 2002. Mm -hmm. uh, at least I haven't in my experience. Um, have you ever thought about doing something like that? Yeah. So I'm in in current uh, currently I'm in the process of a restoration on my first 2002 Frogger, uh, and it'll get um, a very sympathetic uh, factory plus kind of restoration. So um, you know mi minor modifications to make it a little bit more livable and, mm -hmm. and fun. Um, I did have um, a 1966, one of the first built uh, of the body, body style, and I took that to several car shows. Uh, and that one did win, uh, it won an award called the Bomber Award um, that was put on. And the spirit of, uh, of that show wasn't about what's the shiniest, but um, the, the person that gave that award out was looking for cars that were, um, had a good story. Mm -hmm. And that car had sat for uh, probably close to 20 years before I got it. And we put uh, about three months of work into it to get it back on the road. Uh, it was pretty ratty, um, but it made the just under a thousand mile round trip, and, and we had a great time in it. And it was nice to be recognized for for that effort. How did you come into that? Was it a barn find? Was it or something that someone drove by? And went <laughs> look at that. So the story on on that '66, it, it was very unique because there were not many '66 build year. It was the first year, and none of them came to the states. So how it got got here, I, I'm not sure, but the, the brief story is that it came and it was in California for a while. It lived in Berkeley. And I actually have a friend who is in Berkeley that grew up remembering where that car sat. <laughs> and that's important because it sat a lot. Um, and then sometime 2005 or six, uh, it got sold on eBay. Uh, it was sold to a doctor in Canada who had a very large collection. He purchased it and put it in his warehouse and then promptly died. And um, after 
probably about 10 years of waiting, his kids decided to sell off some of his collection at the Auburn auction in Indiana. And um, a friend of mine was at the auction and was snapping some pictures of BMWs and sharing them with our group. And I said, that's a very early car. I'm really interested in that. Can you find out more about it? And unfortunately, he didn't check his phone before the auction went off, but he was able to get a hold of the guy that bought it. Uh, he was not interested in owning the car. He wanted to flip it. He knew that it was something special and nobody else was in the room to, to bid on it at the time. So he purchased it. And that guy happened to live in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, I got his information. I think the, the auction ended on a Saturday. I was there the next day, bought it, put it on a trailer and, and drove it home. So that's cool. So I guess because he was the only bidder on it, pretty he much. got it for whatever his initial bid was. Yeah, he got it for an absolute steal. Um, I paid a little bit more for it than that. Um, of course, yeah. it, it didn't run very well. It, it turned over and uh, it, the clutch was going out and needed some things. And I was lucky to be able to talk him down off of it. And especially being one of the first people there was able to convince him that the time of not having to talk to other people was worth taking a little bit less than he wanted. So. Now, on that, because it did sit in California for a while, how was the body and everything with regard to sea air? I know a lot of those cars, from, especially in that, that era, when you're talking about that, the metal work right. on those, you don't see a lot of Volkswagen Rabbits around right now because yep. they rust easily, especially in the Midwest. So on the coast, I can imagine, without being rinsed down frequently... Mm -hmm. How was that uh, when you took possession of it? The body was incredible, um, and it uh, it had almost no rust. It had you know, a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. every car, especially the one that's nearly 50 years old, has has rust. Um, but it was uh, nearly nothing. And the nice thing about California, you always hear California cars are rust-free. Well, that's not always true. If you're right on the coast, you're going to get the sea air. Mm -hmm. uh, but the nice part about Berkeley is there's some mountains that kind of go through. So it was on the right side of the mountains. Uh, Very cool. So it was protected from from the salts. Uh, a and flower it, pot on the right side. <laughs> right, yeah. It was it was serendipitous. It was really great. So Very the cool. body was incredible. I've been really lucky. Um, I've owned a lot of early cars. The, mm -hmm. They went from 66 to 76. And I, I've never been able to, to prove this, but I have a running theory that the early cars, 66, 67, uh, and 68, are better than the later cars. Uh, because BMW is in trouble, they really had to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. And my guess is on these early cars, they put a lot more care and attention into building them right and doing right things to convince the customer base that these were reliable cars to own. Uh, and if you look at the later cars, the 75s and 76s, they have a lot more rust issues, at least mm -hmm. from what I've seen and in the cars that I've dealt with. So I think, you know, at that point, they were kind of getting to the spot where they had a new model coming up. They wanted people to get out of the 2002 into the 320i. And it, it makes sense that they might not have worked so hard at, you know, galvanizing the bodies. Mm -hmm. um, so, but because I've had those early cars, they've been remarkably rust-free. Very cool. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you give somebody that's looking into possibly purchasing a 2002? I mean, what, what are your takeaways from, from ownership of these things? So, like I said at the beginning, the people are the best. Mm -hmm. uh, so wherever you are, find the other 2002 people and talk to them. Uh, because most of the cars that I've bought, I've bought through networking, through somebody that knows somebody that's selling something or like the auction happened to be there. Um, but, you know, go talk to those people, take a drive, um, you know, do your homework because just like any big purchase, you've got to make sure it's right for you. Uh, but after you've done that, jump in. Um, that's my best, uh, best advice. Jump in, do it enjoy the car, uh, and buy the best one that you can. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're particularly me mechanically inclined, uh, your dollars are going to go a lot farther 
to buy a car that may be a little bit more expensive than what your budget might be yep. and to have something that you can drive and enjoy as opposed to something that's going to be a project. Right. Um, I've seen that a lot, especially with the 2002s where people buy a little bit of a fixer upper and they don't really know what they're doing and want to turn the wrenches themselves or may not have the time to. That's a, that's a big thing nowadays. Mm -hmm. And then they end up selling the car half done. Yeah. Uh, I know I've been in similar situations with time crunches and, um, buy, buy the best car you can drive it, and enjoy it and find the community. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Now, when you're, when you're working on these, uh, is I'm also a little shade tree mechanic, uh, with, you know, lifts are always fun to try to figure out how to mm -hmm. get that taken care of. Does this vehicle have special tools that'll help you get into certain areas a little better than others? I know certain cars that if you have little skinny wrenches, they mm -hmm. can get down well, this is mostly for what I have, very big engines and engine spaces that you can't, I can't even fit my hand down between <laughs> because I have bare paws. But they have little skinny wrenches. And like, oh, yeah, if you get the skinny wrench, you can work on all sides of yep. it. You don't have to take the engine out or drop it. Is there any, like, specific tools or uh, special little gimmicks that have been put together over the years for the 2002 series? There's not a lot. Uh, okay. So when you get into the fuel-injected models, there are some factory tools that you need to be able to properly tune the injection system. Uh, but with any other car, even other parts of, of those cars, you can pretty much take the entire car, to car apart with the factory toolkit. Uh, BMW included a tool roll in the back that had um, a spark plug uh, socket, um, a Phillips and uh, flat uh, screwdriver, and then I think it was an 8, 10, 12, and, or 18, 8, 10, 13, and 17 millimeter uh, box wrench. Mm -hmm. And you can just about do anything with, it, with those. Wow. That's cool. And you know, it, if, if you've ever had an Audi, a Volkswagen, or a Porsche, or a Mercedes, there's always that little toolkit. And you're like, what am I going to do with it? Take the thing apart. <laughs> Put it back together. <laughs> it's actually a useful toolkit. It's that, great, yeah. That's very cool. So, so what are some of the price? I know prices are all over the place on these 2002s contingent upon yep. year make, or I'm sorry, year and mileage and uh, just overall condition. What, what can one anticipate uh, maybe as an entry level, knowing that they're, they're going to have to put some work into it? And what is one that's turnkey, that's, you know, nicely done, refreshed, repainted, overhauled? Um, do you know what those things are going for? Yeah, so it's, it's been a really exciting time to be uh, in the 2002 community and, and an owner. Uh, they've appreciated pretty significantly mm -hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, for the longest time, uh, my first car that I bought 10 years ago, I paid $830 for. And um, that's not the case anymore uh, for a running and driving car. Uh, that car now, uh, in, in similar condition, needing a, a pretty fair amount of work, is probably going to be in the five dollars to $6,000 range okay. for something that's somewhat mm -hmm. reliable, needs some work. Um, really, I think that you could expect to spend for a good quality car uh, between nine and fourteen. Okay. I would think is about where you would want to be. Uh, for something that is uh, mechanically safe and presentable. Gotcha. Um, for a car that is, is more turnkey, uh, you know, I think there are still cars that you can find uh, in the teens for that. Um, but really, I'm seeing a lot of auctions for pretty good-looking cars uh, going in the, the low 20s. Um, and we've this is all for, for base 2002. So with uh, with a TII, you can add at least $10,000 to just about any of those for a good car. Gotcha. Uh, those cars are going in the mid-20s, 30s. Uh, all the time. Uh, and then on up, we, I saw just last year, two years ago, a TII sold for, I think, like $98,000. Wow. It was incredible. 
Um, but an incredible amount of money. The turbos are now in the, the mid-150s. Um, they didn't make a lot of those cars. Uh, and it was a car that when I got into the hobby, uh, I saw one for sale for, I think, twelve five. And I said, well, that's too much for a 2002. And 10 years oh. later, it's it's probably a $150,000, $60,000 car. That is incredible. Oh, wow. So they're holding their value, and they're increasing in value, especially on uh, particular models. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, is there a model year that's really the one that's sought after of the, you said it was a 10-year mm -hmm. model run? Or an so, option package. Yeah. So I think um, for for people, so the turbo is its own thing. That's that's a whole other stratosphere. Uh, but I think for most people, the holy grail is a 1972 TII. Uh, so TII is Touring uh, Injection International or inject, uh, International Injection. Um, and it's the mechanical injection car. They had a little bit more power. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 72, that was the first year for the TII. And people really like that. It's first year for the M too, right? 72, I believe. Uh, the, the M1, I think, was in the 80s. Okay. okay. I'm not, not quite as sure about that. That was a little bit later. Gotcha. Um, but the, uh, the 72 TII, I think that's what most people, if you could put your finger on what's the most valuable. Um, you also have a little bit of argument about the early cars, the 67 and 66, 1600s, being the very first of the production runs. Those have a lot of intrinsic value just in, in what they are as an early car. Um, I don't think it's quite TII value, but it, it's a, it's an addition. That's cool. So. Doing a quick little uh, search on here, uh, uh, the first car that pulled up for a 2002 was $44,000. And then it went kind of started going up on Auto Trader. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. The values are basically which models do you have, how many were, came into the country for that year, yep. how many are still in the country from that year, <laughs> how many still run from that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how many still have, because again, you, when you have numbers matching and it looks like it, you just got it off of uh, the boat, because I mean, honestly, a lot of these cars, from what they say, mm -hmm. were because American distributors said, we need you to make a car that fits our market, and yep. here's the specs, and here's a rally car, we'll boat it over to America, let's see how it goes, and it took off, but how many of those are still around? Yeah, that was the fun thing, is you know the Noya class was the four-door sedan, and they had the larger uh, two-liter engine. Uh, they started making the 1600 uh, in 67, 68. It had a, the same engine architecture, but a 1.6. And it, they're great, but they don't have a lot of grunt. And at the time, uh, some of the, the little bit of uh, the legend is that um, BMW engineers, two of them had their cars, their personal 1600, uh, you know, two-door uh, cars, in having a two-liter transplanted out, out of the sedan. And they kind of said, no, this... This is a lot better. This is what people are going to want. And that's what convinced the BMW board, or part of it at least, um, to uh, to put that two-liter in. And, and Max Hoffman, who was the BMW importer for America, um, brought all those in. And, and what was neat about the 2002 is other than the fuel delivery, whether carburetion or injection, uh, there were no options. Um, they all came exactly the same other than sunroof. You could have sunroof or you could have, uh, you know, your, kind of your, your standard slick top. And one final little trivia bit about the mm -hmm. 2002 is that in Germany, I was reading that there was a bit of an issue with them being stolen by a certain gang mafia group that was out of there. <laughs> the Bader Meinhof game. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? And it looks like during checkpoints, they would stop people with BM these BMWs only, and they would put the little sticker saying, I am not a member of this gang. But what, what was going on behind that? So the, the Bader Meinhof group uh, was a, a gang of domestic terrorists in Germany. Um, I, I don't know a lot about their history, but they were some bad guys. But what's really funny is they would put 
stickers on the windows saying that I'm not part of the Bader Meinhof group to kind of say, you know, don't bother me because there were a lot of police checkpoints. But what's really funny is uh, the police would target the 2002s because they were very common. But um, the Bader Meinhof group really liked the more expensive cars. So they would uh, more likely to steal the big Mercedes or the big BMWs, the uh, the CS coupes and the CSL coupes. Um, that's what they really targeted was the more expensive cars. Um, but the police were after the 2002s. Huh. That, is, that is so cool. I've never heard that story. But I, I, very I, interesting. I, that is I just looked it up. And you got to think, and just real quick, you know, when you talk about a 1600cc engine mm-hmm. and a two liter engine, it seems like, gosh, that's such a small engine. But these cars don't weigh like today's cars do. I mean, these cars were light. Just about 2,000 pounds. So these engines can get up get up and boogie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Considering yep. that you know you don't have a, a half-ton, two-ton car, these cars are ready to roll. Yeah, that's right. Well, I know we're almost out of time, but the, lastly, besides the culture, what have you found most rewarding about owning this car? I mean, is it the drive? Is it just what, is it working on them? Is it learning them? There's a lot of it. So the driving is, is incredible. Uh, no bones about it. Uh, but for me, uh, beyond the, the people in the community, um, I'm not a great mechanic. And um, this has been an excellent platform to learn. Uh, and I've, I've learned and grown a lot in my own personal skill set through um, a lot of trial and error with these cars. And that's enabled me to kind of have some new skill sets and uh, have a lot of fun. So That's uh, great. Yeah. Well, Jake, thanks so much for joining us here at the Classic Car Corner podcast today. Uh, please take a second to hit the like button on Facebook and leave us a review. Reviews are the most powerful way you can help us reach more people. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.